You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 47 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And today we're coming to you from the booth at the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York. The Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to join our email subscription service on our webpage, thelibrarypros.com. Please consider leaving a review on the service of your choice and tell a friend or colleague because word of mouth is how people learn about us. And please check us out on Twitter, at The Library Pros, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. Today, joining us via Google Hangouts from Wollongong, New South Wales, Australia, oh is Rob Thompson. Rob is a teacher in charge of Library and Information Services Diploma course at the TAF, Technical and Further Education. Is it like a unit or a school? or? It's a TAFE. It's a TAFE. Rather than a TAFE. <laughs> but it's a TAFE at <laughs> it's a Here we go. Education College. <laughs> All right, so it's a New South Wales Wollongong campus. Um, so, Rob, as always, thank you for, for joining us today. No worries. So we're going to speak with Rob about uh, the role of library technicians in Library Land Australia, uh, about his unconference concept, which we love, and uh, in connection with his professional development, and who knows what else we're going to talk about. It's going to go off the rails very quickly. But first, let's talk to Rob about his history with Library Land. Well, well, first, let's introduce Rob to the Rob and Rob show, right? Nice. So, Chris, you know, this is your back seat for this one. Is this the Rob and Rob show <laughs> featuring Chris? It's the Rob and Rob show featuring Chris. Nice. Yes. <laughs> Underground version. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so, without going too deep into what a library technician is, tell us why you started in libraries. Okay. So, I started in libraries kind of by accident. Um, I was working uh, in a large steelworks company here uh, in an invoicing department and um, our department was about to be downsized a bit and I thought well rather than go somewhere I don't want to go I'd rather go somewhere I I choose rather than what they choose I didn't know if it would be me who would be the downsized person but I thought well why, why take a chance and a job came up on the uh, job list and it was to work in the library. I looked at the job description, went, I can do that, I can do that. I have no idea what that is, but I can learn. <laughs> um, I have no idea what that is, I can learn. And I went for the interview. Apparently, I think I said all the right things. My boss at my farewell then later said, but you should have seen the other people. Anyway, I got the job <laughs> and started in working in the library. Uh, this was back in 92, and at the end of the first week went, what have I been doing with my life? This is so perfect. Wow. <laughs> anyway, so that, that's how I got started in libraries. That's great. <clears throat> oh, so <laughs> uh, well, the next question I was going to ask, thanks for blowing it out of the water, uh, <laughs> what was the appeal for you to get involved in libraries? Obviously, because... Uh, <clears throat> Obviously, yes, get, getting a, a, another job before I got sent down onto the plant. Uh, was a primary driving force. But the real connection with libraries is I've got a head full of really useless facts, um, really useless information, 
and suddenly working in the library, you go, this actually is useful because weird people come into libraries and ask you all sorts of weird and wonderful questions. Even in an engineering library, they'll wander in and ask some really dumb stuff. <laughs> and I just happen to know the answer. That's great. So I guess that leads us into our third question. So how did you find your way into teaching on a university level? <clears throat> well, slight problem. It's not at a university level. We, we uh, were just kind of, you know, sh we're trying to be nice, Rob. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so it's not quite at a university level. It is a tertiary level, but it's not university level. So how I found my way into teaching, well, my parents were teachers and so was my grandmother, uh, primary school level, and there was no way I was ever going to be a teacher. Um, but in 2010, uh, the steelworks downsized, made my position uh, redundant. And so I was looking around for a job and uh, I was asking around at the university because I thought I could get a job as a researcher, at least at a part-time basis. And they said, well, there's a job going at the uh, at the TAFE, go and ask there. So I went and asked and uh, saw my the person who had taught me and uh, she said, oh, you'd be perfect for it. I went, really? And um, so, yeah, anyway, so it ended up that I got the, the role there and uh, started teaching and telling people all the stuff I know. So uh, we have a couple of friends in common. So tell us how you met our friends Sally and Amy from the podcast Turban and Duck. So I met Sally and Amy. Um, I th so we Sally and Amy were on the organising committee for NLS 8 um, and I was for a short period of time also on that committee because I was on the organising committee for NLS 7, so New Librarian Symposium. Um, so it gets all the people who have recently qualified uh, out of library school, uh, whether that be a TAFE level or a university level, and uh, sort of fires them up ready to go into the library world. And so I was on the organising committee for NLS 7, and they asked me if I would be involved in NLS 8. I said yes, and then things happened, and I had to pull out. But I was still involved because I helped run um, the walking tour of libraries in Canberra. Um, so, uh, yeah, I met them basically at NLS 7 um, and, yeah, we just hit it off. And then they asked me um, when they started doing Turbot and Duck, <coughs> excuse me, to uh, be their fourth guest, which was a bit of a blowout. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, when I listened to that episode, I, I was hooked right there and then. And I'm like, who is this Rob guy? <laughs> Holy cow. And, and of course, I said to Sally, would you mind if I stole one of your guests? And she's like, sure. It's not stealing at all. I'm like, okay. No, and, no, it's not. Libraries don't steal from each other. We just borrow right? ideas. Of course. Absolutely. So we want to take a short break so we can yep. talk with Rob about what a library technician is because it's something that we've yet to find a, a true comparison to here in the United States. Uh, we also want to talk about your unconferences. 
um, your famous library tours, maybe even talk about some, I don't know, uh, some beer, maybe? Something near and dear to your heart? And uh, whatever pops into your head. So we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, we're back. We are back with Rob Thompson from New South Wales, Australia. Did you just try to step on me? I did not. I was just trying to give you, you the cue. Sorry. I should have went ah, like that. That's okay. Yeah, you should have pointed at me. Yeah. All right, we're good. <laughs> so we're back <laughs> with Rob. Yeah. 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 And it's your turn, Bob. You got question it number is? one. No, it's marked Chris. No, it's marked Bob at the bottom. I'm sure at the end it says Chris. Oh, I got to I gotta change uh, yeah, my my fault. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. This is the Bob and Rob show. Right, I'll just shut up now. I just pop in and, and tell yeah. you what a lot. Why don't you just read the question yeah, to yourself? You Rob? Why don't I do this? <laughs> so, for our American listeners, tell us what a library technician is and what they traditionally okay, so, do. So, a library technician yeah. traditionally um, is a lower level. Um, so, so in libraries in Australia, we have library assistants, which can just be like anybody straight out of high school, off the street, basically a shelver. Um, they may do other things, but that, that's kind of that level of um, responsibility, as in none, just shelving. Um, then you get the library technician who normally would go to TAFE. or uh, So it's, it's kind of a, a bit above a community college in America. Um, so it's a sort of... Um, well, it's a technical and further education facility. So it's uh, they do a lot of training of apprentices for um, so for building and for uh, construction, that kind of thing, um, that, that kind of level of education, uh, so technical education. Um, and then so the library technician is mostly front of house. We also do cataloging, so we do do back of house stuff. See, that I find very interesting that, that they do the cataloging, not the librarians. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so cataloging tends to be a, a library technician role rather than a librarian role, um, although librarians sort of sit above and – so librarian roles tend to be managerial um, and library technician roles tend to be uh, more hands-on kind of roles. So in – uh, in America, there are paraprofessionals that I'm aware of um, and associates, I think, is another term um, that people use. Um, so library technicians, as I said, are generally uh, front of house, uh, hands-on kind of things, but there are library technicians in managerial roles and library technicians running single-person or um, libraries or very small libraries, sort of two or three people. So, um, and there are librarians who do front of house. So it's a bit of a fluid situation and the um, distinct uh, 
dividing line between library technician roles and librarian roles is not quite as uh, rigid as it ever used to be. Well, it sounds like um, I'm just as you're you're describing it. There's a here in in New York and especially Suffolk County, it's, it's very heavy civil service unless you're in like an yep. association library or something like that. And uh, it sounds like there's there's a civil service position called library assistant, isn't it? I think that's right, right, Bob? I guess so. Yeah, it yeah, sounds almost like library, it sounds like a library assistant job. Yeah, but they don't usually get hired very often. Because of union yeah. unions and labor and that kind of thing between yep. the librarians. So a library technician does uh, a 12-month – well, you can take up to two years in some places. but a two, uh, So it's a, roughly a 12-month course um, to learn the basics of being a library technician because it's a lifelong thing, really. And from what I understand from when you – with your uh, interview with, with Turbin and Duck – it's not necessarily a stepping stone to get to librarian. No, not necessarily. Um, like I did the course in 95 to 90. So I took two years. It was a two-year part-time course uh, when I did it, so 95 to 97. Um, and I started as a qualified library technician, even though I've been working as one since 92, um, in 98. And... I never really felt the need to do any. Uh oh, did we lose Rob? Uh -huh. Come we lost you there, Rob. We lost Sorry? you there. We lost you there for about, oh, all right. about 15 seconds. Oh. So, where do you want me to start? <laughs> you, <laughs> the underground cable went down. <laughs> the Russian subs uh, taking care of things? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the library technician course, uh, yeah, so I did my library technician course um, and I never felt the need to do a librarian course because I saw what the librarians were doing and it was much more um, that managerial thing and interacting with uh, the bosses and all that sort of thing and doing budgets and planning and all that sort of stuff. And the library technician role is much more hands-on and much more people-focused um, and practical help, that kind of thing. And in my library that I was in, it was a small library anyway, um, so I got to do everything anyway, um, everything apart from planning budgets and all that sort of stuff. So I got to do interlibrary loans and I got to do uh, research and um, all that sort of stuff anyway. So there was, for me, no need to go and do the librarian role. Uh, Chris, I don't know if we asked that. Does their role in libraries vary from library to library, or are they all kind of the same? No, no, they there's pretty varied. Um, I'm aware of a library tech who is in the State Library of Victoria, and she manages all the people who come um, who manage to get scholarship type positions, so they get um, like a grant or a scholarship to come to the State Library to uh, do research into all sorts of weird and wonderful things. So she manages them. Hmm. Uh, so it's that kind of role. Um, and then there's library techs who kind of all just specialise in cataloguing. There's library techs who are front of house in, like front of house in an academic library, like a university library is a lot different to in a public library. Um, so there's lots of varied 
really varied roles. That's yeah. that's the other good thing about it is it's very portable. Um, you can go once you do the course at Wollongong, you can go basically anywhere in Australia and New Zealand, I think. Um, so it's pretty portable, um, and the roles are always varied. Um, when I did, um, so when I finished at uh, the Steelworks Library, um, we had to do a, an exam, well, not an exam, sort of a test, personality test type of thing. Um, and one of the things was uh, to see how comfortable you were with coping with chaos, um, which I scored quite high on, but all the chemical engineers I did that same test with were all way down below. So engineers <laughs> like rules and regulations and knowing what's going to happen next. Whereas in the library, as you know, um, you're often faced with, well, today I'll be doing this, this and this, and then you walk in and bang, phew, nothing happens like that at exactly. all. Exactly. And you're doing everything else but that. So, yeah, I'm just really cool with, with doing chaotic stuff, I guess, or coping with chaos. That's, that's a better way to put it. it. Sounds like what we all do too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So transitioning from the library tech um, discussion, let's talk about something that's near and dear to your heart, and that's professional development. And um, how important is that for library technicians versus librarians? Well, it's, I think it's hugely important because it's just a matter of you just turn up and the conversation <laughs> happens. Um, so, and if you don't turn up, well, that never happens. Um, so, the, yeah, so my de facto apparently um, motto of just turn up arose, arose out of the discussion with Turbot and Duck. And I said, well, you know, because they asked something along the lines of, so, you know, what do you do? I said, well, you just turn up um, <laughs> because you don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know what that conversation will lead to. You don't know what that experience will lead to. You don't know what you will see and, unless you turn up. You're like turn so, up guy. And so turning up is to as many um, opportunities um, a, gets you known in the business and being networked and networking into everybody else that's in the business is just hugely important of, of getting your name out there or so people know who you are. Um, but also it's good to um, – it's the experiences that you encounter and the people you encounter um, that just – fleshes out your education and your development and exposes you to more ideas and more opportunities and more and, and some of those opportunities and experiences are things that you can then incorporate back into your own library um, or you, and gives you, you know, look, I've, I've seen this in another library. I think we could do it in our library. I've seen it work there, so why can't we do it here kind of thing? So it gives you a, um, a real, uh, what's the word, um, concrete example that you can put before your boss and say, look, I've seen this happen. It works there. Why wouldn't it work here kind of idea? Well, um, <clears throat> I think that does make a lot of sense uh, because 
you know, if you don't have these associations and groups and things like that, how do you expand your what you're doing and see what other libraries are doing too? That's part of yeah. it. Yeah, so I've turned up for university and research library um, an event. So that's kind of outside my remit in one sense. But by turning up to those things, um, you, you're stepping out of your own comfort zone into somebody else's world, but you're seeing ideas there that you can bring back even like libraries are all about adaptation anyway. You see something work in New York and then you bring it back and you adapt it to work in Wollongong that and vice versa. makes a lot of sense, yeah. I mean, it's just a matter of see, getting the idea and then making it fit, that puzzle piece yeah. fit to your model. Yeah. So, Bob, you're up. Well, I kind of answered the, last, the other question, right? So should we move on to question five? Yeah. So taking the idea of professional development further, uh, you do something called the Unconference. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So back in 2005, I was, I was on the organising committee for a national uh, library technician conference in Sydney. And in the run-up to that, so the conference was in September, I think, um, and in the run-up to that, so around about, say, August, I read an article on a um, on a web page on a blog that talked about um, going to a conference and all these people sitting around in the morning tea session and in the lunchtime session having these really nice in-depth um, discussions, and then someone would ring a bell and everyone would stop that discussion and trape off to the conference and listen to someone bang on about something which may or may not have been really, really interesting, <laughs> um, and then come back to the afternoon tea thing and pick up that previous conversation um, and carry on that and say, well, how good would it be to get rid of the conference speakers and just have an unconference where you uh, people got together and talked about things that they wanted to talk about? So in 2000 and nine, no, 2008, I said to the library technicians in New South Wales, I said, we should do this. And they said, well, you're the only person who knows what you're talking about. You run it and we'll do it. Hmm. So I did um, and put the call out for one and then got someone registered, which I thought, oh, crap, now I actually have to do it. <laughs> um, so I, I ran the first one and because I'd never run one before and because I wasn't quite sure what I was doing, um, I got someone in who had worked at the Steelworks and had only left about six months earlier and she had gone to work for a sustainability company in Sydney. So I got her to come along and give a talk about sustainability because libraries are really all about sustainability anyway. Um, and so she did a talk and then we went off and did small group things about things that people wanted to talk about and it worked really well and that was 2009 and from 2009 to 2016 I ran one every year. Then last year I had it off because it was Alia's, so the Australian Library Information Association, um, our version of ALA. Uh, it was their anniversary year last year and there was just heaps of things on. So I, I skipped last year and then held another one this year. 
But the idea of the unconference is that basically I put a call out to say that it's on and this is the venue and what do you want to talk about? And then people respond with a whole bunch of this is what I want to talk about. Um, and then I pick out the top um, sets of, of what they want to talk about and we talk about that. So we break off into um, three or four groups of people to sit around and talk about whatever it is they're going to talk about. Um, although the last two years I've, I've sort of turned the whole uh, unconference idea a little bit on its head by inviting people in to speak about uh, things that I don't think, well, I think are important but would not normally come up in the this is what I want to talk about. So I've had guys come in and talk about uh, digitisation of uh, oral histories uh, from a music studio because I bumped into them at uh, a conference and that's what they were doing. And I said, well, you guys need to get that information out to public libraries. Come and talk at my unconference. And they did. And they said that was really valuable because it got word out to people who would they would not normally um, be exposed to. So it's that kind of thing. Uh, so the, it's pretty relaxed. It's pretty chilled. I get people to bring their own morning and afternoon tea to share. Um, so that cuts down on the cost. Um, this year it was a $5 donation to Indigenous Literacy Foundation, uh, so helping Indigenous kids across Australia. Um, so low cost, low entry. So the, the cost of entry is really low uh, and the cost of participation is really high. Well, I actually um, watched the last unconference, especially when you had the uh, the recording yep. studio guys in. And yep. introducing the video feed to it was, I think, something that, at least for me being halfway around the world, I got to experience the unconference. I just got a taste of it and I thought it was it was great. Yeah, and the unco yeah, and doing so Sally helped me set that up. Um, and doing that we thought was a way to take the unconference idea out into regional New South Wales, which is I mean, my sister lives in the middle of well, almost the middle of New South Wales, and that's a five hour drive. Not quite like a five hour drive into the Manhattan, but a five hour drive <laughs> out in the country. Um, just to get out there, so you know it. it the, the the chance of anyone from out her way being able to come to Sydney for the day is is pretty low, um, because they probably have to stay overnight. But this way, hopefully, they get to experience that whole idea. Well, that's something that we introduced too with uh, with our tech. We do a technology meeting called the TIFF Group, it's Technology Information yep. Forum, and uh, we started streaming. I guess about a year year and a half ago and yep. we always talk about well you know people say well only four people watch the stream when it was live or six people watch the stream that was live so what because that sits on uh the tiff facebook page and it sits there and you get legacy watchers you get people who may not even be from suffolk county or nassau county you'll get people who may yep. not even be from new york state you get people who may not even be from the united states and yep. if you have people, if you have 15 people attend the meeting, which is kind of like an unconference because we have a topic, we talk about it, and then we do some roundtable. Uh, you know, once it gets out there into the ether, 
um, you reach a hell of a lot more people than you do with just the six or seven people around the table and then somebody taking minutes and then approving the minutes the next time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same idea of making it, um, especially for library techs, because often in, in libraries in Australia, it's the librarians who get to go to conferences. But um, by making uh, it really low cost, the uh, opportunities then increase for the number of people who can actually be there and be a part of it. Um, so this normally it's held on a Saturday, but this year, just because of um, the venue availability, it was on a Sunday, um, which has pluses and minuses, but it, it worked. Um, and we had 45 people turn up. Um, but also by streaming that, it then, as a legacy, that's right, um, then continues to have a, a life of its own and gets retweeted and and put around so that people eventually watch it somewhere else. And, and that's the point. The point is to reach as many people as possible and, and to get the information out there. It's It's not about, oh, we're doing this, and if you're not part of our group, then too bad. You can't be part of it. Yeah. I mean, we even have gone to the point where we created a, a Google group because we felt the listservs, um, which were good, just weren't reaching the same kind of people and there was so much crosstalk with other things going on. So we actually created a Google group, which is like a message board. And yep. uh, it's been very well received in both Nassau and Suffolk. And that was another thing too. In Nassau County, I don't believe they can participate in the same listservs that we can in Suffolk because they're exclusive county to county. So one of the things that we've done with the, with the TIFF meeting was, you know, it used to be, um, you know, if you're in Nassau County, oh, they're in Nassau County. We don't talk to them. <laughs> and, and, and the Nassau people were like, oh, those people in Suffolk? But now we've been doing joint meetings. and uh, We used to do them once a year. Now we do them twice a year. And we've broken down that, that imaginary, you know, Berlin Wall between the two counties. Yeah, yeah. And now we're collaborating on all kinds of different things. And you make connections and you do different things like that. And what's nice is... You see in the stream people from Nassau County who are watching and people who can join the Google group because they're in Nassau County. And we have a couple of people from up in Westchester that have joined us now. So, you know, it's it's not about proprietary interests. It's not about our county versus your county. It's just about sharing the information because whether you're in Nassau or Suffolk or New South Wales, we're all doing the yep. same thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, so part of the benefit for me uh, so since 2010, being out of libraries and teaching library kind of thing um, is that in the teaching thing, because I've, I'm out a bit, I'm no longer in a special library, but I've had experience in the special library, but I get to see the public library, the school library, the TAFE library, the uh, university library, the special library, the art library, the, all those kind of libraries from a bit of a distance and a bit of an overview rather than being stuck in the day-to-day -day life of a public library. So I get to see what's happening across the sector rather than within the sector, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, it, so getting everybody into the same room is, all, is part of that, um, for that conversation and for that discussion. Um, so conversations and discussions, because there's there's multiple things happening at the same time. Uh, so there's four breakout sessions usually. And of those four breakout sessions, there might be four groups within each of those 
full breakout. So there's 16 conversations happening across the day, plus you throw in lunchtime and another conversation happening. Um, so there's really a lot of um, different uh, people talking about libraries all day. And it's, as I, I tell the students, the great thing about going to a non-conference or a conference or anything like that, professional development, is you don't have to tell people what it is you do. Everybody knows. Everybody, oh, you're in libraries. Why are you doing that? That question never comes up because everybody knows the answer. Um, it's one of those sorts of things. So the idea of being in a room where you don't have to explain yourself, you don't have to explain what you do, you don't have to explain why you do what you do. You just talk about all the stuff that's passionate to you um, is a really liberating thing as mm -hmm. well. Um, and, you know, that you're all in the room, you're all talking, we're all singing from the same hymn sheet type of stuff. Well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean... What's what we're doing too is we bring we brought the academics in, um, the yep. academic librarians because you know what they have a lot to contribute to and I've gotten great ideas from my my buddy Chris Kretz from over at Stony Brook University, uh, Sally Stiglitz from Adelphi University. You get great ideas based upon sections or parts or just yep. little snippets, and and yep. the, the best part about it is it starts the conversation and then like you said it develops the contact so maybe now Adelphi yep. University is doing something and maybe you know Emma Clark Library or Sachem or somebody else is is going to say that's a great idea let's partner in a, on a limited basis and try to do something like this or like that or and, sometimes and, you and inspire libraries, other people I think libraries should be one of the connecting points in in any community like you know you you guys are there and you've heard now that you know somewhere down the road is doing something. But if someone came in and said, oh, I'm thinking about doing this, whoa, 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 why don't you go and talk to that person over there? Because they've already started that thing. So we, we in libraries should be that connecting point between people, and um, which means that we have to understand our community and whoever that community is, whether that community is our local public library area or our university campus, we need to understand who they are. And that's that's important too, knowing who you know who your patron is, who who's the person that's coming into your building and what's gonna work for that person, that student, that patron, that customer. What you know, how can I take that that widget A and then sculpt it into widget B and make it fit into yep. what we're doing? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it even applies even to something you know, like along the lines of podcasting. Um, I just got a, a nice email today from the Syosset Library. They just launched their first uh, episode. And uh, they wanted, they, they emailed me and said, please listen. So I listened to it and they gave our podcast a, a, a little bit of a, a promotion saying that they were inspired by what we were doing. So yeah. that is, it, that's very satisfying. And, and um, not only that, you know, we take nuggets from, from other people, from other things that, you know, other libraries are doing. And it's, some people say, well, you know, what happens if one library has a billion dollars to spend and one library has, you know, $20,000 to spend? I think the challenge is taking that, that concept that may seem like a high ticket item and finding yep. a way to retool it so it'll work within your budgetary constraints too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And which feeds into my next idea. Uh-oh, here next we go. Idea. He's smiling, folks. We're, we're in go. trouble. 
<laughs> my next idea is to look at so the idea of understanding who is in your community and who um, is part of that is part of so I teach a thing about develop and maintain community and stakeholder relationships which is all about that you know appeal um, being in good stead with your stakeholders um, who may not necessarily come to the library as well as your community but that means understanding who they are and then so I took that one step further and said that once so the um, Chicago's stories um, from Chicago Public Library published by the Urban Library Council uh, in a report called Engaged Library talks about this kind of idea uh, which is a development of asset-based community development um, so I've now just termed that library-based um, community development uh, which basically says to go out and find out who are the groups uh, in your community who are the so that can be everything from faith groups to uh, community groups to disease support groups to um, men's clubs uh, women's clubs um, all those sorts of people and find out who they are and who you can connect who you may already be connecting to and who you need to connect to um, as well as things like um, civic council groups and uh, uh, city commerce groups, those sorts of things, business groups, banks and all those sorts of things. So to find out who they are and who the library can is connecting to and who the library could connect to, um, to build up that sort of thick uh, uh, network of people um, that the library is connected into, which also helps them then going, well, this group over here is doing this, but that group over there is already doing that. So why don't they get together and, and talk to each other? And because the library knows that, they could be the connecting force between that. So in the same way, he, he, here we go, uh, in the same way that um, craft breweries, craft... <laughs> I knew it was coming. You, you <laughs> knew it was coming. Craft breweries cre uh, brew beers in specific styles for different people. Um, so my idea is that, that we have a lot to learn from craft breweries. <laughs> which is somewhere that no one, as far as I know, has ever gone before. But craft breweries brew beers in specific styles for different people. Um, and in the same way, we need to uh, craft our library services in different ways for different sets of people. So we kind of do it really well for the naught to sort of teenager years. Once they get to sort of 14, 15 we forget about them, forget about them, uh, <laughs> until they, they hit the sort of the mums and the and the young people, uh, the young adults or the older people. We sort of forget about those sorts of people in the middle. And even in the sort of 20 to 40 age group, there's lots of different kinds of people in there, but we don't craft our offerings in any um, specific way. We just, here it is, here's the library... The library has everything you would ever want, but the problem is that people want specific things, um, and we don't really craft our offerings in that way. So there's a, I think there's an opportunity to learn from that sort of craft li uh, beer thing and craft library it um, in in a different way. So in other I words, got it in. 
So you did get it in. So we need to we need to have the beer that the uh, the twenty somethings like, the thirty somethings like, and uh, and keep brewing that the 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 kind of beer that the people who always have been coming to for uh, and have always have that on tap for them as well. Yeah, and and like like libraries of people keep coming to libraries, but often the people who come all the time still don't realise all that we offer. Like they come every week and pick up their 20 books and take them home again. It's true. But if all they're doing is picking up their 20 books, what else are they missing out on? What else don't they understand is here in the library that they can access? And and how how do we give them more? Well, that's that's the struggle, you know, whether it's – you know the makerspace stuff, which is really hot right now. Yeah. Um, what does that do for a sixty-something? It really doesn't do a lot for them, unless you can help them make a part that they need to replicate, so they can rehang that mirror from the sixties. Or you know, how do you get? Um, but maybe that's part of that that sort of craft brewing experience is to have a chat with those sort of sixty-plus people and go. So, here's all this stuff. What could you use that for? What 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 would you like to create with this stuff? Well, it, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, you really want to have everything available to everybody. Yeah, look, the 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 brass ring right now is trying to attract those twenty somethings and thirty somethings back to the library. That's yep. that's the that's the holy grail right now. Um, yep. And it's it's starting to happen over where I am a little bit with. Um, with the book discussions at the local uh, pub, yep. which, which is interesting. Uh, and some of the, the 3D printing and, and the engraving is bringing the 20-somethings and bringing the moms back, you know, bringing the yep. moms back from children's because they want to do some engraving for whatever reason, wedding presents and all that other stuff. Uh, but I think, with, and like you were saying, we have to have that craft brew for each segment. Of, and it's not just age-related. It's also no. segments of society. It's socioeconomic. Yep. It's, you know, it's it's group homes. It's it's all these different kinds of people and kinds of groups that yeah, you have yeah, to yeah. think about in terms of how are you going to serve them. But I think yeah, there, the, there's no one library patron. No, there's not a there's not a typical library patron. There are lots of typical library patrons, if you like. There's sure. a you know there's a wide variety across the whole age group across the whole. Um, by sex, by by age, by religion, by all sorts of defining factors, you have you might have your typical thirty-five-year-old Baptist. Um, <laughs> you know that you may have that one, but next to them there'll be a, a completely different typical library patron. There's no yeah. one size fits all, <clears throat> whereas. In, in brewing, there's a t- tendency that if you're a if you're a bud, there's a one size fits all. Here, have a bud and that's it. Whereas <laughs> craft brewers go, no, don't have that. Have this. This is made specially for you. Here's a milkshake IPA, which is what I had last night. Wow. So he- here's a milkshake IPA. It's got lots of stuff in it that it's been dry hopped. It's tasty as heck. Try that. You know, it's one of those sorts of things rather than say, look, here, here's a 
here's a beer we've been brewing for ages. It's really good, but it's just a it's just a beer. We can't do the same to to library patrons. And say, look, here we are. Here's the library. It's got everything in it that you could ever want. Go for your life, because people go, well, what do I want? I don't know what I want. If you have too much choice, it's almost as bad as having no choice. Yeah. So we have to craft what we offer to people in order to get them to think, ah, I could get, I could, oh, this library is actually for me. This has what I want. This is the offering I need. Well, this is, and this is, and, and Bob, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. We could have all of this, this stuff in the building and we can have the most up-to-date technology and the coolest this and the greatest that. This is this is the I think one of the, the things that libraries, particularly public libraries, have a problem with, is getting hmm. the word out to the masses. Like, yeah, we all do a newsletter, we have a Facebook page, a Twitter, an Instagram, but how do you really, I mean really, get the message out there? How do you really advertise yourself? Like, you know, we'll be in the local penny saver that gets mailed home every week and, and all that other stuff. But how do you really you know what i mean drive it home do you have to buy yeah, radio I, spots do you I, have I said to- in a at a conference in canberra i was on a panel which freaked me out unbelievably before it actually <laughs> happened will you be on the panel I went what the heck do i know you thought somebody anyway, was standing behind I got on you right? this panel and we were talking about this very same subject and i said excuse the language but this is the only way i know how to put it that we are really good at preaching to the converted. The people who come to the library, we can preach to them day in, day out because they're the converted. We know what they want and we can tell them and we're really good at advertising within the four walls of the library, but we're useless at evangelising outside our own four walls. There's no, We are terrible at getting the word out beyond our four walls. And although that was back in 2013. But since then, my local library has done pop-up libraries at the pool. It's done pop-up libraries in the park, that kind of thing to get the word out. Um, and and if, if we don't get outside the four walls, then how can we get people outside the four walls to actually come into the four walls? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It has to do with that, that outreach component and – um, I know just from where I'm at, we've had an explosion of outreach in the past two years, and it, it has made a difference. We're getting now we're getting the students from the schools coming in that are so excited yep. about whatever we brought into the into the the school they want to now come to the library and play with or work with or use or, or operate. And now we're we're trying to take that to the next level t- with senior uh, centers and 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 senior communities yeah. as well. Yeah, but you had to get outside the four walls of the library in order to do that. That's right. And that's often been the problem with libraries. They're very good at, you know, they put all the advertising inside the library, but nothing gets out. Yeah, take a flyer. Well, that goes in the bin as soon as you walk out the door. <laughs> or as soon as you get home, it goes in the bin. It, it, we have to get outside that four, which gets back to that thing about the library-based community development once you know who the, all the connectors are outside, you can then target them and say, look, this is what we're doing. Can you spread the word amongst your group of people? And suddenly that becomes 
a lot less um, of a problem or a lot less of an exercise to do because you, there might be 20 people that you have to connect, but they connect to 200 people each. And suddenly, you know, thousands of people know rather than 20 people know. It's yeah. that idea of reaching out beyond the four walls of the library and, and finding the connecting people who connect to all the other people. It's so true. I mean, and outreach is probably one of the cheapest ways of doing it. Yeah, you're paying your people to go out and do those things. And yeah, you're purchasing equipment and, and technology or, or whatever, whether it's a button maker or a, you know virtual reality or whatever it is. But that's something that's a value-added thing in the building as well. So going out is free, and it helps to develop yep. those contacts. And even something as silly as, as being involved in the local chamber of commerce or the Kiwanis yep. or the Key Club or, you know, or all those other associations and groups and just, you know, showing up at the meetings or, as you say, turn up. Just turn up. Just turn up. Turn up. <laughs> and getting the idea of, uh, you know, because over at, at Sage and we've been doing this to a point now where they're expecting us to come to these different meetings and oh, how come they didn't miss the meeting? So we're sending, and believe it or not, we're sending our younger librarians to get that experience. And, yeah. and, and, and see, I, like you said, with the Chamber of Commerce, if, if you turn up and they're always look like all those groups are always looking for someone to come along and give a speech or, or a talk. Yeah. So why not the library? And it's, like, what, it's, it's obvious. And not only that, it's that we miss it. Yeah. Well, the idea too is that, you know, we could even be free labor for these associations to, to help with the promotion because now we're reaching areas and, and reaching our people within our four walls who may not know about the chamber stuff and may not know that there's a fair next weekend or a car show yeah, or a father's exactly. club meeting at the high school or ABCD, yeah. whatever. And now we take our network, which we see as our core and add it to the network that they have. And when we go to those meetings, we reach out to the network that they have. And it, it becomes a symbiotic relationship. Yep. It just makes a lot exactly. of sense. It makes a lot exactly. of sense. So craft beer. <laughs> I knew you were going to yeah. get it in there somewhere. Such <laughs> <laughs> a great idea. But it, it's a great analogy because, you know, I'm going to be kind of local here for a minute, but, you know, uh, and Bob, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Blue Moon beer, I don't see any 60 year olds drinking Blue Moon. No, you know, but yet you know, Guinness is always going to be around. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So you know, everybody's going to want a, a pint of Guinness, or maybe even a, a Sam Adams, or or something like that. Or you know, and the younger people are going to go for the you know some of the uh, micro brews. So it does make a lot of sense to have the flavors for the, each different thing. And for for people who are listening who may not be into beer, replace the word beer for the last half hour with flowers. It makes the same. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same idea. Yeah. <laughs> same idea. So, sorry, we got a little guy heavy on this this podcast. But you know what? It, it's okay. I think I think our listeners can handle it. And if they can't, they're just yeah, going to unsubscribe. And, just and, a lot and you're off. right. The, the craft beer analogy, okay, it's a beer analogy. But in Australia, like, I don't know about America, but in Australia, like, coffee shops are everywhere. And everyone compares one coffee shop to another coffee shop. But it's the same principle involved, is the barista is making your coffee for you. That same, you know, personalised 
it, you don't just walk up to the coffee shop and just get a standard coffee, which you right. then add whatever you want to it. You go up to the barista and you say, I want whatever it is you want, anything from a flat white to a 1,600-ingredient Frappiano from <laughs> Starbucks, and, and they'll make it for you individually. And it's that idea of making something specifically for you is that the same idea. Yeah, absolutely. And it may even be a different barista in the same uh, coffee shop that may not make your chai tea latte the same way either. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, there's that. So, wow, this is a lot to digest. This is, this is a lot of fun, Rob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also go to a tea festival, and at the tea festival, there's like 600 different varieties of tea. It's the same thing. You know, there's the tea that you like, and there's a tea that you just can't stand. Well, this is, this is a funny little side story. When we were, I was at Computers and Libraries. Uh, they had an assortment of teas. So, of course, I'm texting my buddy Sally, and I'm, I'm giving her the flavor of all things. Um, I don't want to say American because, you know, America is a whole bunch of different countries kind of squashed into one. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving her all things Northeast, let's say that, because I was in Virginia at the time, which is technically the South. But, um, and I said, oh, we have a whole bunch of different tea here. And she goes, really? So I take a picture of the box with all the tea. And she goes, that's all crap. <laughs> What's that? I've never heard of that before. That's not real tea. And then she started listing all the teas that you guys have down there. And thankfully, Lipton was one of them because uh, it was the one name that I did know. And she's like, what is that? That's not tea. <laughs> what is that? It's just, it's just, it, we went on for days about that. It's funny. And then, you know, talking about, well, I like Earl Grey tea. I like black tea. She goes, well, do you like black tea with blah, 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 by this company and blah, blah. And he says, don't tell me you just dip a, a tea bag in. Don't tell me you don't make your, you know, have your own whatever tea ball or something. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, yeah. I, I'm trying to compete with, with one of the Commonwealths. I just can't do it. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> and, of course, then I, you know, bring up the old, you know. Oh, come on. You were in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I was there not by choice. It was just a conference. <laughs> but I, I joked with her saying, you know, don't, don't make us too angry because a, a few years ago, some guys jumped on a boat and dumped a whole lot of tea in the harbor. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, yeah. <laughs> she goes, I bet that was crap tea too. <laughs> 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 so I know not to, not to, uh, not to diss beer around Rob and not to diss <laughs> tea around Sally. That's right. Oh, man. So this is a lot of fun. Um, and I smell uh, a second episode with uh, Lord Rom Thompson very soon. So thanks for being on with us. Uh, that's, we, that's fine. And, you know, anything that you are doing down in Australia is really relatable to what we're doing here. There's a lot of crossover. We're doing the same job. Just it's, We just happen to be on different sides of the planet. And, um, and that, that, I think, is true. Like, I've looked at stuff that, you know, they're doing in Norway and Finland and stuff and France and UK and US and Canada and around. And we're all doing the same thing, really. We're all, we're all got the same dance sheet and we're all dancing with the same partners in, in, cause we're all trying to deal with that weird thing called the, the public. <laughs> um, and all their weird questions and all their weird requests so it's all the same thing. It really is. Absolutely. So we're going to take another short break. And when we come back, we are going to be asking Rob 
our top 10 library questions, or the 032 list, which is the Dewey number for top 10 lists. And we always have to give thanks to uh, our buddy Melanie Cardone from the Longer Public Library for naming the list of questions we ask all our guests. Now, I know, Rob, we're going to have to tweak this for you, or you're going to tweak your answers. So yep. we're going to have a lot of fun with this. So we'll be back in just a moment. We are back with Rob Thompson, who will be our next participant in our modified 032 list. Questions in our list were inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. Visit their site because they educate and inform the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. Okay, so you ready? Yep. Bring it on. <laughs> Listen to you. What, would, what did you want to be when you were a child? I, I had to think long and hard about this because it was a long time ago. Um, but I have always drawn and I have always drawn cars. So I think if I go back far enough, I was probably wanting to be a car designer. Um, that, I think that probably was what I wanted to be as a kid. That's awesome because I love cars. A man after oh. my own heart, right, Chris? Absolutely. Both <laughs> of us, sure. I, I used to sit in the front seat of the car at, uh, driving along and name every every car that was coming or every car that we passed. Can you guys get Mustangs over there yet? Is that something? Oh, heck yeah. Heck right? yeah. That's great. Chris knows why. Not, why you have to sit there. on the wrong side of the car, though. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'd love to have one of those. That's I, I really want to try that, driving on the other side of the street. Yeah. Well, just just do it next time we go down the street. Just I, drive on the other side. <laughs> well, Chris does that Give anyway. It a crack. <laughs> Maybe we'll just steal one of those mail trucks and try that. There you go. So what is your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time? Okay, my first uh, library was the Curry Curry Public Library. Um, I would have been taken there by my mum or dad, um, probably my mum. Um, and uh, growing up, when I was about seven, eight, we would walk about, I just looked it up before, it's about two, three kilometres across um, and stay at my uh, uncle's place, then walk up to the library and we'd hang around in the library for about an hour or so and then walk back to my uncle and aunt's place um, and then wait there for dad to come back from work and pick us up and take us home. Hmm. So, yeah, so Curry Curry Public Library. So good they named it twice. Curry <laughs> <laughs> So uh, when did you decide to work in a library? I know we covered this, but humorous. And uh, yeah, yeah. Tell us about uh, that first career path uh, before uh, you started working in a library, because you only mentioned it in passing. Yeah. So my first career post school was working at uh, a bank, um, and Ew. then uh, that that didn't really work out because me and numbers don't really get on. <laughs> uh, we have a passing re a relationship. Um, I passed. Anyway, so numbers didn't really work out. So I did that for about four years. Um, takes a while sometimes to get through to you that you're really not cut out for banking. Um, and then uh, 
I went to the UK for about 18 months and then came back and got a job at the steelworks in a clerical position, uh, which led to uh, an invoicing position um, and working on ships. Uh, I used to do the export documentation for ships, um, but there was a lot of nighttime stuff and late nights and early mornings. Um, and then the opportunity came up to work in the library, so I did all the uh, things and got that. That's fantastic. <clears throat> so who was your favourite fictional librarian? It has to be the librarian from the Discworld series, the orangutan, um, oh, cool. the librarian who got altered by the power of the literature and by the mystical nature of the literature uh, in the library to be evolve into this uh, orangutan. Um, so, yeah, him. What do you think of that, Chris? We haven't had that before. Have not had that one before, no. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> nice job, Rob. <laughs> okay, so what would you be doing if you were not working in a library? Craft brewing? Well, I am not working in a library. I'm teaching library, so that's my answer. I'm doing what I would not be doing if I'm not working in the library. I am already doing it. Um, but other than that, I would. I tend to think now um, I'd probably be doing something along the lines of uh, that sort of library-based community development kind of thing, asset-based community development. I think I think – I don't quite know, but something along that line. But having done the unconference thing, the, like the potential for that kind of uh, activity, so it works in libraries. So it would probably work with other organisations. So whether whether you could make money out of it is another thing. But that that kind of thing. So what is your favourite section of the library? Uh, have to be the non-fiction area um, and probably the sort of cars and yep. um, that kind of yeah. history is probably my history slash geography is my big thing so that kind of thing that area of the library okay so think in terms of the library that's your home library not necessarily because you don't work in a library anymore or maybe this yep. is something you can associate when you did work in a library although you worked in a special library i think yeah um, if you had infinite space and budget what would you add to your library so my current public library is opened at the start of the year it's so it's brand spankers it's a really cool space um it's not terribly big, but it's big enough. Um, but just thinking about that particular library, the one thing I would add to that is some sort of music recording studio or video. So music recording slash video editing suite, um, that kind of thing. Um, so I know that um, in Helsinki, there's a library called Helsinki 10, um, and they've got a music recording studio and a band performance space Um and a huge CD collection. So that kind of thing, some modification of that idea, I would put into that library space. So what would you say you absolutely love about your library? The thing I love about the library is that it's such, 
it's a welcoming space. It's a space that you can go to to do some deep thinking. I mean, every library has a you know an array of resources and books and all that sort of stuff. But as a space to go to, to think and to also to have um, do that sort of collaborative uh, environment um, and and do that kind of thing, create stuff. Um, I think libraries have have got that nailed in, in having that sort of, I guess it's down to ambience. Um, so the new library at Shell Harbour has that ambience of a space. It it's, was set up to be the living room of the city um, and it has that sort of feel to it. So what is, and again, pulling on your vast experience while working in special libraries, which I don't think this really fits that kind of, <laughs> it, it doesn't really fit because you're not dealing with the public, but what the hell, we'll throw it out there anyway. What is the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library? Not necessarily the worst thing, but the weirdest thing. And remember, we okay. don't have an explicit rating on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard of that happening, the R-rated things happening in libraries. I've never been a, seen it or been a, yeah, never mind. Um, but the weirdest <laughs> thing... <laughs> Quickly backing out of that one. Um, <laughs> the, the, weirdest, the weirdest thing, I don't know if this is weird, but in order, so back in my special library, in order to get, so we were a special library in a research facility where the researchers would lock themselves in their little cubicles and just tinker away and think and type up stuff all day, um, all week. Um, so in order to get them out, we ran two events. One was a Thursday morning tea club, uh, which was basically an excuse to eat cake, um, <laughs> but to drink tea and, and get them out of their offices and come to that. And the other thing we would do, the library was the host, or, uh, host space for a curry club that was held once a month. So people would go and, um, and as the curry, curry, curry chef – um, we, we would bring along a curry uh, and cook up some rice and uh, so reheat the, the, the curry from the we made the night before and uh, about 20 of us would sit around and, and eat curry. Um, so two people would bring a curry to share and then the rice and then away we would go. So that's, it's not weird, but it's, it's a bit unusual. So who would you say is your favourite regular patron? Or I guess person you run into the most often. <laughs> um, an annoying student. Yeah, that <laughs> they're all annoying, that, right? Yeah. Well, no, no. Some are more annoying than others. Let's 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 just put it that. that it's that thing about there's no there's no stupid questions. That's just stupid, stupid people, people who ask them. Yeah, they really are stupid questions. But anyway, uh, favorite regular patron. Um. So if I go back to my uh, oh, special library days. Um, he wasn't really a patron. He was the guy who delivered the mail. Um, but he would ask me all about Justinian for some bizarre reason and, and talk about the Ottoman Empire, um, which was sometimes good and sometimes you have to shut up and go back on your mail run. But he was always an interesting character. Bob, did I steal your question? 
No. Uh, I said uh, favorite regular patron, and oh, then you're up for the what are people without library cards missing out on. What are let people without library cards missing out on? <laughs> Wait, is there an I echo st- in here? I stole your question. Hey. <laughs> hey, Rob, what are people without library cards missing out on? You don't say, Rob. What do you think they're missing out on? <laughs> so, I think people without um, library cards are just missing out on – it's easy to say heaps – but for, for me, libraries have this enormous potential um, and it's an enormously unrealised potential. Um, and being a part of the library, um, so I have a mate who keeps asking me, so, Rob, what's the point of libraries? Um, and I eventually got him to go and have a look at the new Shell Harbour library and eventually he sent me a thing saying, yes, it's really good. By the way, I've joined the library. Um, Bravo. He uses, he uses the library as a think space and a place to go to to sit down and, and try and bang out 500 words um, as a discipline. Um, but he appreciates the space. And I don't know, it, it like I can't not think of a time that I wasn't a member of a library. Um, I lived in New Guinea for two years and the library was a huge part of what we did because there was no TV and there was really crap radio. Um, so being a part of the library there was just what you did. And if you didn't be a part, of, if you weren't a member of the library, what the hell did you do? Hmm. Um, I don't know. But being a part of a library is just, you're also hooking into the community. You're hooking into the life of the city. You're hooking into the groups that use the library. Um, and if we t- take that thing about connecting with what other organisations are doing and being symbiotic in our relationship with them, you're finding out what's happening by being a part of the library. And so not being a part of the library means you're missing out on all the things that libraries offer. Well said. Absolutely. So we got to thank you for being good sport and answering our, no silly, our silly little questions. Um, and as always, you're always fun to have on a podcast and we're going to definitely have you back. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Um, new craft beer. (laughs) Well, I hope to run a craft beer unconference, um, probably the end of August. I've got to make, I'm going up to the studios. Um, so I, I went to a Studios 301, which is the largest studios in the Southern Hemisphere, brand spanking new, only opened at the end of February, um, and is the probably, if it isn't the best, it would be in the top three in the world, music studios. Um, and I went to there uh, a little while ago, uh, back when they, so this is their brand new one, but their old one. Um, I went there and checked it out and just came away from that because I just went just to have a look because he said, come and have a look. So I went and had a look at the studios and then came away from the music studios and went, oh, my God, they're almost like a library, Hmm. Um, which is a completely bizarre thing to think. Uh, But I had to write it down then to to sort of put it into – put my my thoughts down on a piece of paper uh, because they like quiet. I know libraries aren't quiet, but that's, that there's an expectation that somewhere in the library there's going to be quiet. 
But there are also places of creativity and connection and space and all the things that we're also about, about connection and space and uh, creativity and curating content and um, collaboration and all those sorts of things. Um, th they epitomise that as well. And they've got connections beyond the physical environment of the studio out into the wider world. So if a band came in and said, look, we need a harmonica player on this next track, they go, ha, no worries, I'll get you one now and he'll be here in an hour. Um, we should be the same kind of thing that, you know, here we are in the library. And, oh, look, we're, we're thinking about doing this thing down the road. Um, we're thinking about holding this sort of a festival, but we need somebody who can do this. Oh, I know just the person. They're over at that place over there. I'll give them a ring and see if they can help you. That kind of connecting of people and um, enabling pe groups to come together and collaborate and uh, resource things and, and put things on. Um, so I'm hoping to go to there uh, in a couple of weeks and arrange um, uh, my craft, brie, uh, craft beer and libraries unconference, which will then retreat from there and go to uh, a brewery to uh, sample the sorts of beers that, that beer experiences that libraries could be crafting for their patrons. Hmm. So... Uh how do we get an airline ticket for this one, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. I, I can come and run one there. It's no problem. I think we have enough money in the TIFF uh, budget to uh, get you to at least, well, I don't know about the airfare, but we could, I don't know how much money we have left in that budget, but how cool <laughs> would that be? We can get you here. We just can't get you back. Yeah, exactly. Well, you have to swim you back. <laughs> that seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, nothing else to plug other than that? Um, you want to plug your school? Nah. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah, you can. Um, I mean, I've had students do this. My course from Qatar in um, in you know next to Saudi Arabia. There. So if anybody in the states wants to jump on and do a course from Australia, I'm happy to be a part of that. Very. Cost you about ten grand Australian, but you know, <laughs> that's really cool. So again, thanks for coming on, Rob. And um, no problem. This has really been great. This has really been a lot of fun. So that's all the time. Oops, I hit the wrong button. Look at that, professional broadcaster. Ha, my foot. <laughs> See, I was just trying to be slick there. So really, that's all the time we have for this edition. If you have any questions or comments on the show, go to the contact us section of our website thelibrarypros.com and we'll also include links and photos to craft breweries from all around where Rob is uh, from, <laughs> and we do that for not just the craft brewing but we do it for photos and, and links everything on our site visit us on uh, Twitter at, at, at the library pros or on Facebook at facebook.com slash library pros and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts Google Play Stitcher iHeartRadio wherever you get your podcasts and if you like what you hear Give us a review on a service of your choice. Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob, and not those of the Sachem Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. 
Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.